most of us, how many of us are, are familiar with um, the term Advent? Advent is the, the, the period that we're in. Churches that, that have a calendar of sorts will call this period Advent. It's a, it's a Latin word. From a Latin word that means coming, arrival. So the, the coming of Jesus Christ, and we often refer to Christmas and what we celebrate on Christmas, the incarnation as the first coming of Jesus Christ whilst we await his second coming. Well, Advent is a period in the church's life where it commemorates both those realities, the first coming of Christ, Christmas, and the expectation of the second coming for which the church lives. Um, and um, yeah, so I want to preach a series just thinking through what is a very important truth in the scriptures. I mean, as far as Christmas is concerned, you are on safe ground as, as long as you realize that the commemoration of it as a season, as a period, is a purely man-made tradition. I always have to say that. I'm, I'm a bit of a Grinch in that regard. Um, but Christmas is is, a, is purely a man-made tradition. There's nothing binding about observing Christmas, as it were. You don't have to like Christmas or recognize Christmas. You don't have to. It's not a biblical thing. It's man-made thing. Man-made traditions are fine as long as we recognize them as man-made traditions and they never take the place of God-ordained traditions. The reason why it's important to say that is because if we don't recognize a particular thing or act as man-made, we run the risk of usurping it to the place of a God-ordained tradition or something that's binding on the conscience of believers. Once we recognize that Christmas is a man-made tradition, then we can, we can also we can observe and recognize the helpful aspects of that. That's what I try to do when I, when I preach through a Christmas, preach through the, the Christmas period and the Advent period, is, is recognize that the theme that Christmas wants to commemorate is not man-made, right? The very idea that Jesus Christ was the king, was born in, into the world, although the Bible doesn't stop there, right? But the very fact that he was born into the world and he's come into our world and God has walked among us um, is something worth observing and reflecting on. And so I want us to do that over the next coming weeks as we, uh, as we prepare for Christmas. And to help us think biblically through the subject, that's another thing, right? You can, Christmas is fine when you think through it biblically, when your, your, your framework, your grid for understanding the truth comes from um, the scriptures. And to help us do that this morning, I want, us to, um, I want us to start a series, I want to preach a few sermons through the Psalms, right? And um, what, what, what do the Psalms have to say to us about preparing for the Advent and Christmas? And there's a, there's a number of reasons why the Psalms are a good place to start. Um, one, because um, the Psalms speak of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ especially says that the Psalms speak of him. And no book is more quoted in the New Testament. No Old Testament book is more quoted in the New Testament than the Psalms itself. The Psalms speak of Christ. They often speak of his coming. There's a whole group of psalms that we often refer to. I'm not preaching through them now. That would be my next year series. But we often refer to as the messianic psalms. So psalms that speak of the coming of Jesus Christ. And then there's the, the devotional element. If you want to reflect and meditate upon something, there's no better place to go to than the psalms. The psalms have, you know, the, uh, the entire, if you want, um, uh, the entire gamut of spiritual devotion think of everything, every, every genuine spiritual desire that we ought to have and feel, we can find and read through the psalm. And the psalms are a songbook, a book of singing. 
And very often what we do at Christmas is sing. And, you know, as according to the book of Luke, that's what attends the very coming of Jesus Christ. There's an element of that. In fact, right through the scriptures, something that attends the arrival of Jesus Christ is the singing of people. We sing. And there's no better place for, the, for us to go to when we want to learn to sing as a church and to think through the singing of the church than the very songbook of the church, the Psalms. Well, um, so yeah, we're, we, I, I'm preaching through the Psalms over the coming weeks. And, and today, I want us to pick up one of the great themes of the, the, the Advent season. And so that's what I'll do over the coming weeks is, what are the great themes of Advent? And then we'll reflect upon them by reading the Psalms. Uh, or, or thinking through the Psalms. And one of the great themes of Advent, of the coming of Christ, if I, if I asked you that, what are the, the themes you associate with, with Christmas? There's a, there's a number of them. One of them is joy, as I, as I said. Um, there's, a, there's, a kind, there's a biblical um, injunction that tells us, listen, when Christ comes, it brings joy, and the people respond with singing and celebration. Well, today I want us to, to think of that, um, uh, joy. And, and I actually call this sermon, Joy to the World, because one of the great Christian hymns that we sing around this period, we sang it in opening, Joy to the World, is actually based on, on this psalm. Isaac Watts writes that hymn based on um, the words of Psalm 98. It's his own kind of uh, summary of, of the text. So we're really singing, we're singing scripture uh, when we sing Joy to the World. And, and so Psalm 98 has a lot to say about joy, because very often I think the reason why some of some people anyway are also hesitant about Christmas is because they see the way in which the, you know Christian themes can be diluted um, by folks who don't have a proper understanding of the scriptures and they're, they're worried about the lack of grounding in the Bible and that's a very very important concern. But one of the ways to alleviate that is to make sure that we ground the truths in Scripture. So what is joy according to the Word of God? Not according to the TV adverts, not according to the feeling of the moment, but according to the Scriptures. What is joy? How does, it, how does the church ought to reflect joy? And here we can think about that in this wonderful psalm. This psalm is steaming, teeming through with joy, with a call to rejoice. God's people are singing, joyful, rejoicing people. Look at the opening verse. Sing to the Lord a new song. What a strange command to command me to sing, to command you to rejoice. It's a strange command, right? It's one that's echoed, though, right through the scriptures. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Brothers and sisters, Christians are people who are commanded to have joy. That's amazing. The same God who commanded light out of darkness commands you to have joy. What he commands, he gives the grace to perform. God tells his people to sing a new song because he promises to give them something to sing about. In fact, Psalm 98 is all about those two things. The command to rejoice and the basis upon which Christians rejoice. You know, sometimes in this dark world, in the difficult times that we have, just because of what the world is like outside and what because of what the world and because of what the world is like inside, Probably more even so for me, for example, I, I love to hear that God said I should rejoice, that God says I have a reason to rejoice, that God says rejoice. It's a comforting one. It wouldn't be comforting if anyone else said it. If I'm in a bad mood and you come to say, oh, come on, Kayla, be happy, man. I look at you, like, bro, what do you think you are? Like, leave me, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Well, who are you? Like, why are you saying that to me? 
But this is God saying it. When God says it, I feel, you know, it's like Jesus Christ, when Christ would command folks to be healed, when folks would command people to be healed in the name of Jesus. You see the, 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 para, the paralytic person in that condition? The disabled person in that situation? They didn't even have a choice. They felt the muscles move. They felt life seep in. They, it wasn't something they were doing. It was being done to them. When God commands me to, to rejoice, I feel the same way. God is telling me there's a reason to rejoice. So Christians are meant to be joyful people. And sometimes, you know, one of the ways we forget that and what it means is that we walk in disobedience or we don't walk in the fullness of the power of the gospel is by this dichotomy we try to make. And I understand where it comes from, but we try to make a dichotomy between joy and happiness. We say, I don't have happiness, but I have joy. I understand what some folks mean by it, but at the same time, I don't understand what you mean. It's like saying, um, you see, I have a car, but I don't have travel. Huh? Right? If it's not traveling, is it really a car? Like, it's not working. If it's not happiness, is it really joy? Is it not working? God wants us to be happy people. So sometimes, sometimes, not saying all the time, sometimes a true test of our Christian, Christianity, our devotion, our walking faithful with the Lord is, am I happy? Am I genuinely happy? Am I satisfied? I'll say this later, but one of the big reasons for that is because one of the marks, one of the, one of the emphases of Psalm 98 is God uses our joy to tell the world about himself. There's something unique about the Christian because they have this joy that the world doesn't have. Then I can tell them it's because I have this God. My, my joy comes from him. And so that's how our joy this Christmas must differ from the world. We must be joyful people. But what separates our joy, because this Christmas, I guarantee you, you're going to see happy people. Christmas Eve, you're going to see people that at least on the face of it, they look happy. They're smiling. They're dancing. They're all, you know, they, they look happy. You're going to see children receiving gifts, adults exchanging gifts that look happy. But there's a difference between our joy, our happiness, and their happiness. Our happiness lasts. Our happiness is unshakable because our happiness is in Christ alone. That's the answer. That's the whole of the sermon. The reason why sometimes our joy is finicky and it's um, fluctuating is because it's not in Christ alone. God is, when God says to his people, sing a new song, I command you to rejoice. He's commanding them to be anchored to Christ. Always. Always find joy in him. I'm trying to, I need, listen, I need to be brief this morning because we have the Lord's Supper. But this, is, this text is in my soul. I'm, I, okay, so follow me, Sha. Um, but this, so our, 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 our joy is in Christ. Now, the thing about Psalm 98 is it gives us three ways in which we, three ways, three reasons why we can rejoice. Now, our joy is in Christ. We're to rejoice. That's the command. We're to sing a new song. But on what basis? And it tells us three things about our God. And I'm saying these things are, 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 are about Jesus. Because the Psalms prophesy about Christ. There's three things about Jesus this morning that the believer must know that they know. Sometimes we know it, but we don't know it. But when we know that we know these things are true, they're the source of joy. The apostles once said to a lame man, silver and gold I don't have. I have none, but what I have I give to you. I want to give somebody Christian joy, but the kind of joy you want I don't have. The only joy I have to give is a joy that's in Christ alone. What does that look like? This is a, Psalm 98 gives us the answer to that. 
So it's, 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 a, it's a joy in knowing three things about Jesus. The first one is that Jesus Christ is Savior. So the believer is commanded to sing a new song. And in, the first, in this first section, verse 1 to 3, the emphasis there is because all the ends of the earth, verse 3b, have seen the salvation of our God. Or verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. Verse 1, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. So the Christian, the believer, can sing a new song to God because of God's salvation. What we believe about God's salvation. God has delivered us. He has rescued us. The word for salvation here means something like that. Deliverance, rescue. The source of our joy not just this Christmas, but all time, is our conviction that God is a saving God. He has saved. He has delivered. And so you ought to sing a new song. The psalmist says in verse 1, he has done marvelous things, unbelievable things, unspeakable things, things that you can never praise too much. One of those things is he has saved us. In, in verse 1, it says also, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. You see the point there? The saving, God's saving acts have been his own acts of salvation. No one prompted him. No one helped him. No one earned it. It was just God putting forth his power. So we praise God because we've seen the, the greatness of his saving power. That's why we commemorate the incarnation, because we say at the incarnation, God took on human form. He did the impossible. What no man could do, God has done. And there's joy for that. But notice the emphasis of saying his own, his right hand, his holy arm. You know, this was Israel confessing. They did nothing to deliver themselves. It was God that delivered us. And the Christian, the church understands that song. I did nothing to earn the saving grace of God. Not by the works that I have done, but by grace. Praise God because he saved me from my sin by grace. He saved me from my terrible fate. He saved me from my terrible future. He saved me from a terrible fall by his own grace. God has done this. He has worked salvation. And there is something about the conviction, the knowledge that I'm saved by grace, that brings joy. It brings joy. There's something about the knowledge that this, this grace I have, I didn't earn, I didn't work for, so no one can take it away. There's something about knowing that God deals with me on totally different terms to how the world deals with us. The world deal, deals with us on the basis of bargains and transactions and you earn your right or you will be canceled and demoted. But with God, it's grace. And I'm telling you, there's something about salvation by grace that means you can't steal someone's joy from them. Have you ever been so disappointed in someone because they've messed up so many times? And you're like, I turn my back on you, man. You're not even worthy of another child. Like, you're really a mess. But you know, imagine that person who everyone turned their back on realized that there's grace. God doesn't care how the world feels about you. He doesn't care that the world is not upset with you or doesn't agree that you should be given a third or a fourth or fifth a chance. You know what God says to his children? You're still an heir of salvation. I'm still making you a king and a priest. I'm still working on you. I'm still going to make you glorious. I'm still going to bring you home safely. 
I'm still going to open your lips. You know, the Bible says sin shut your lips, shuts your lips, but grace opens it to proclaim God's goodness. It fills you with joy that you know God's salvation is by grace. And so the believer sings a new song. That's the command in verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. You see, the idea here is, is not so much that we're meant to pen new songs. There's, there's room for that. But is that there's to be a freshness. God's glory, God's praise is never to be still. We could come here every single Sunday and sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And it should never feel boring. There's something fresh about it. We, can, we can't even begin to scratch the surface of how great the goodness of God is. Now, the thing is, with every other form of joy in the world, you can. Every other joy in the world has its limits, comes to an end. But God's joy is irrepressible, unstoppable, doesn't finish. So sing to the Lord with freshness. Live with a new joy all the time. As you contemplate your God, there's a freshness, the fresh spring. Are you, are you, do you have that kind of joy? The second thing is that we sing because Christ is king. Our joy, the grounds of our joy is Christ is savior, Christ is king. So verse 4 onwards, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joy a song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with life. Now initially, this, just, this, this, this is the portrayal of a kingly coronation and the celebration of the happy subjects of that king as they behold their beloved king enthroned. You see, that's why there's a trumpet and there's a horn and they're making all these noises and they're saying, yes, he's a, our king is enthroned. So the second ground of our, of our joy is the kingship of Christ, right? To reflect the portion, this portion of the psalm, um, Isaac Watts says that earth received her king, right? Our king, we, we praise him. Is this rapturous, exuberant praise meant to be reflected in the life of the church? I think so. I think so. I think there ought to be real, like, a rejoicing. I think God's people, there's, there's a space for God's people to shout to the Lord. Not just shouting, but actually shout to the Lord. I think there's joy. I'm okay with saying, rejoice, the Lord is king. And standing there and saying, rejoice. The, I, have a, I have a space for that. I can say that. I'm happy to do that. But I grew up also in, with Christian spaces where Christians, when they rejoiced that the Lord was king, you know, like everything rejoiced and the instruments rejoiced and the drums rejoiced. Do we know better than the Psalms? I don't think so. Is there room for that? Absolutely. Again, it's a cultural thing at points, but you know, God's people are a joyful people. We have something to sing about. We have things to dance about. Don't, don't, I'm not, don't, don't get angry. Don't say, okay, I'm not losing it. I'm okay. But I'm telling you, we're, we're meant to have real joy. The church should educate its people to know that we, we have something to sing about and shout about and rejoice in. But anyway, the, the, the main point of the psalm is not simply the singing or the re rejoicing of the people. It's the, the worth of the king. The king is worthy of praise. Praise him. The reason, the reason why it's calling us to have the most exuberant praise ever is because there's nothing... There's nothing that can disavow this king. There's nothing uh, um, unloving about, unlovable about this king. Nothing's, we love his reign. The Bible says the government is upon his shoulder. We live in the perfect place to think about this because we're in a country where we, nobody likes their, their rulers. Nobody. 
Doesn't matter who you voted for, we never like who's in prime minister. Doesn't matter who they are. Now, we've had a few in the past few months, but we never like them. We always have one bad thing to say about them. But, this, but Jesus Christ is not like that. We love his reign. We love it. We, we love his kingship because it's one of love. It's one of peace. It's one of righteousness. We love the way he subdues us. He conquers our emotions. We love to give our lives with him. Brothers and sisters, you cannot serve Jesus Christ reluctantly. Cannot. You know, I always think about this with, with, with my children. I pray that my kids come to know God at a young age and know Jesus Christ. And I will try and teach them the ways of Christ from a young age. And, I, and I, we want to pour into them the scriptures and the, all, all these truths. But if in God's sovereignty the time came and my child was not, he had, hadn't been regenerated, hadn't seen the need for Christ, and they get to that age, and uh, you know, whatever that age is, where you recognize that you have to acknowledge the almost independence of these kids. I will never do anything to force my child to worship Jesus Christ. I couldn't. My king doesn't, you don't serve my king that way. Yeah, I mean, till a good age, I'll be dragging them to church. Of course. For a long time, they will not even be able to open their mouth to say, I don't, they, they can't. And I pray they never do, but if in God's sovereignty, he allows it for a season for them to be that way, I, I have, we have to recognize the time, that's not worship. I can't drag you here. If you're old enough to make your decision and you choose to go a certain way, I can't stop you from, because my king isn't served that way. He's served with joy. He's served with love. I'll just tell my son, I'll just tell my daughter, whoever it is, I'd say, I'd say, you don't know how much you're missing. You don't know how much of life you're wasting. There's no one like my king. There's nothing like surrendering to him. Christians weep when they can't surrender to him. There's, no one like the, there's nothing like the rewards serving him gives, even when people don't see it or acknowledge him. There's nothing like the joy we have in calling Jesus our king. Nothing like this king of love, this king of peace, this king of righteousness. Nothing like the way he whispers by his Holy Spirit into my heart and tells me to do the right things. And tells me, don't cheat people. Don't be hateful to people. Don't give in to your base desires. You can do better. You can grow. Don't give up this grace. There's nothing like my king. And the way he leads me. You would not believe it. How he puts up with me. There's no one like my king. He's great and mighty, but he's lowly. There's no one like my king. And that's where our joy comes from. And so that's why we cry, your kingdom come. Rule and reign over us. Our joy comes from having Christ as king. The third thing is our joy comes from Christ being the judge. Uh, verse 7 to 9 speak, end with saying that Jesus Christ will judge the world. Verse 8, he comes to judge the earth. That's a curious thing to have joy in, isn't it? Initially, you don't think that you, you rejoice in the idea of judgment might seem a strange reason to give for having joy. But if we know what this depiction of God as joy, as, as judge entails, and if we are believers, then it is true that our greatest source of joy is knowing that God is judge. Now, there's an in interesting situation in this part of the text, because now, rather than call just the people or the nations to rejoice, human beings, it calls upon creation. Let the sea roar, verse 7, and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it personifying creation. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy. What's, what's going on here? Uh, that might be, as Bible students, this should be, for us, the greatest 
indication of what's actually happening now. Also, the, the fact that God's works are now spoken of in the future. They, the, the rivers clap, the hills sing, the sea roars, because the Lord is coming to judge the earth. Almost like now, the psalmist has spoken of past salvation. We rejoice because God has saved us. Christ's present kingship, and now he speaks about God's future justice. So the believer's joy is all-encompassing. It's past, present, and future. We have joy. Um, you know, the, the hymn writer says, Be still, my soul, the Lord does undertake to guide the future as he has the past. The Christian has peace because God is in charge of past, present, and future. And peace is the landlord of joy. When you have true peace in the Lord, the necessary outflow is joy. Right? Because all of our lives are in his hands. But, but, but this, this part of the, of the psalm introduces God as judge. The future element. It says, rejoice because the Lord will judge with righteousness. Verse 9. God will put everything right. The future is secure. Your salvation in the future is secure. The kingship of Christ is the future is, is secure. His justice in the future is secure. Our joy in Christ, our joy, the joy that we have comes from knowing that everything will be all right because God, who is the judge of the whole earth, will do right. And that's why creation is introduced here, right? We, we must borrow from the interpretation of the Apostle Paul who tells us that creation is groaning. Creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And, and so the psalmist says, even creation will praise him. The day is coming, and you'd have heard this if you were at the Bible studies on heaven. The day is coming when everything will be put right. Even creation. God is going to make everything right. And this is why the Christian can rejoice. Because the future is secure. What is often the ground of people's uncertainties and insecurities and anxieties is a fear of the future. What's going to happen in the future? But the believer knows God the judge will come and put everything right. Our future is secure. So we sing to the Lord a new song. We're full of joy. Let me close by saying these things. Brothers and sisters, do we have this joy? Are we full of a new song? Whether we're, whether we're with the congregation and singing with them or we're by ourselves at home, what's controlling your life at this minute? At this very phase of your life, do you have this deep joy? And if not, why not? Are you, are, you, are you asking yourself those questions? Is it because you are not rejoicing in the Savior? You're not willing to rest in his finished work. Some of us are not just even, we're just not even willing to accept, to, to, to rejoice in what the Savior says about us. We're so concerned trying to please other people trying to win the approval of other people. We're so discouraged by the fact that we haven't reached a certain stage in our lives and we don't think that people think a certain way of us. Oh, and God will not let us have joy when he sees that we're trading it. We're trading his joy for the joy of the world. No, do we have joy in the fact that Christ, I am who Christ says I am. He's saved me. He's bought me with his precious blood. I know I'm not worthy. But he has paid for my sins. He's my savior. Do we have joy in who we are in Christ? Do we, have, do we not have joy because we're not surrendering to the kingship of Christ? Another reason why God will withhold joy from us and why it's such an important thing for us to ask ourselves, do I have joy, is because 
God will take our joy from us if we're not surrendering to his kingship, if we're not walking in obedience, if we're not walking in repentance. Is it because the Lord has seen that there's a particular sin in your life that you're, you're, you're cuddling and you're, 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 you're not repenting of and you're hiding and God says, no, I'm, I'm going to withhold your peace from you until you forsake that sin? Surrender to Jesus Christ as your king. You don't want to do that sin. That's not what you actually want if you're God's child. You don't want to be separated from Christ. He's all that you want. Jesus is what you want. So by his grace, turn away from your sin. By his grace, forsake that habit. By his grace, uh, forsake that secret sin. Expose it to his blood. Let him cleanse you. Because there's nothing like the joy that comes from knowing Christ is king. Is it because we're not surrendering to Christ as judge? We're not willing to patiently endure suffering and wait for the judge of the whole earth to do right. Sometimes Christians have no joy because they're so, they're so busy trying to earn their vindication in this world. When God sometimes tells us you have to wait. You're not going to get the fullness of, your, of who you are in this world. You're not going to be totally satisfied by, by, the, by, by, by yourself or the things of this earth in this world. You're, you're, the only satisfaction that you, you ever have in this world comes from the expectation that my judge is coming. It's not going to be perfect in this world. It's just not going to be. Acknowledge that. Rest in your Savior. Um, rejoice in the fact that one day he's coming. You know, there's so many things in this life we're just going to have to resolve to. One day he'll come and he'll put it right. That's enough to give us courage and strength and peace. That's a mess, but one day he'll put it right. That shouldn't have happened to me, and I don't know how I can get the vindication. In fact, the only way I can get vindication for that is I know that one day he will put it right. He'll put it right. He'll make it right. The other thing to say is, do you see the huge emphasis on missions in this passage over and over again? Israel at the time are being called to share this joy with the world. And brothers and sisters, this joy that we have in Christ, we're called to share with the world. So, this Christmas, if you want, God wants us to share this joy with the world. What are we going to do to tell, this, to tell the world about this joy? God has already done it. He has already made his salvation. He's already accomplished salvation. So many people in the world need to hear of that joy. Are you going to share the gospel finally with your loved ones that you know you should have sat down and said, have you ever spoken about the gospel? Are you going to tell the gospel to your kids? Do you have younger ones under you who you can sit with and say, let me tell you guys a story of Jesus. Are you going to finally change the conversation with that good, close work colleague that you have that's always been about everything else apart from the God of the Bible and you keep saying, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Are you just going to be bold now and say, no, can we talk about the gospel? Can I tell you about my Jesus? Are you going to do that? Are you going to maybe share your share tracks with your neighbors? You know, you're, you, you, you live in a neighborhood like me. You live in a little, and no one really knows that you're a Christian. No one is, are you going to try and say, I'm going to do something to, to share the gospel with them. I'm going to, I don't know, give them a, a flyer through their, their, their letterbox or something. Or, what is easiest, are you going to join HERC on the 11th out there for the outreach? You say, I, I'm, I'm so scared. Okay, well, the easiest thing you can do is see Wumi. Wumi will carry you. Wumi will make sure you're, you feel scared? Wumi will cover you easy. Oh, you come and sing with us. You sing to the locals. You say, I'm scared of singing. I don't have a good voice. Sister Joyce is coming. If Sister Joyce is singing, it doesn't matter. Your voice can be like, your voice can be like Tyo's. 
It doesn't matter. Sister Joyce is going to make you sound like an angel. You're going to come with us and say this is an opportunity to, to, to share the joy of Christ with the world. God calls us for that. This is joy that we must share. And lastly, just the limitations of earthly joys. Remember that, brothers and sisters. True joy is found in Christ alone. And so if you don't have this joy coming, springing from Christ, have you not seen the limits of your earthly joys? They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. They fade away. They only last for a season. The pleasures of sin only last for a season. Before you know it, you find yourself being lost, purposeless, wondering what you're meant to be achieving in this world, feeling the pangs and the pain of God's judgment upon you, the tiredness of having to suppress conscience. Only those who have surrendered to the grace of Jesus, the full and free grace of Jesus, only those who have given everything to him and say, Jesus Christ, wash me clean. I see now that my biggest problem was who I am before God. I was so concerned with what people think about me and the likes on Instagram and what my friends make of me and who I am, this, this mask. I'm, I'm so concerned about it that I forgot that you're the one who judges. Now, Jesus, I realize it's free. It's full and free. Make me right with your father. Make me right with God. Bring me to God. Make me a child of God. Only those who surrender to Christ in that way can truly say joy to the world. Amen. All right, let's let's